the whole teaching of the Buddha is an invitation to be present, to see clearly, to free the mind from grasping. And in a nutshell, the Diamond Sutra says very explicitly, develop a mind that clings to nothing. Develop a mind that doesn't cling to anything at all. And out of that non-clinging, non-grasping, the whole of the Dhamma will unfold. One area in our practice which is particularly challenging or difficult in staying present in an equanimous way is the area of thinking, of thoughts. And that is what I'd like to talk about tonight from having heard some of you, and I know for myself, that we have maybe have had many, many years of practice, and it's still uh, an area which really requires a lot of skillful attention. And it's not rare that this relationship to thoughts becomes kind of a battlefield that we put ourselves into, a battlefield that is only created in our own mind just because we establish a struggle and a struggling relationship towards this area. And it reinforces the suffering. So, What is happening when this is the case? Well, often we need to see, and I've seen for myself, that when we are struggling with thoughts, um, there is a sense of force, of willpower that is used, which we think would be helpful to overcome the thoughts, to be able to have a mind that is free from thinking. Yet, this is not a wise way of relating to thoughts, just because it doesn't work. So how can we relate to thoughts in a wise way? And that's exactly what I'd like to talk about tonight. Thinking often feels like this great burden, you know, that we carry in our head, often in the West, it's really a sense of feeling pressure in the head and everything's happening up here. And there's this off-balance of really not being able at times even to drop in the body because there's so much happening in the head. And so this great burden is um, something that we have the tendency to want to get rid of. And this wish, this tendency of uh, not relating in a wholesome way is maybe very unconscious. And I've seen for myself that 
if I bring a little bit of understanding, well, consciously, of course, I wouldn't be using force or willpower because um, there's a knowledge there that we see very clearly when we can have some kind of wisdom coming in that we are not helping ourselves. And yet, often, if not all the time, all of us come to practice with this deep wish, this deep want of wanting calm, wanting peace. And that peace, that calm, we think will manifest if thoughts stop. So to want a quiet mind is something that is very, very present. And um, in the actuality of our experience, I know that from hearing some of you, it's really very hard when you've been here for quite a number of days. And this chatter isn't really stopping. And we think that we've done something wrong. There often comes this overlay of judging ourselves because the thinking mind is something that should not be present. And therefore, not only do we judge the thoughts, but we also judge ourselves for being a bad practitioner. And of course, this just gives a greater sense of suffering. So in our efforts to meditate, we see quite clearly how unruly the mind can be. It's really going here and there and everywhere, chattering away, racing at times, and so often in ways that are totally insane. You know, a thought, if you look at a thought and then there's the next one, there isn't even a relationship at times with one thought and the next one. And it's just saying absolutely nothing that makes sense. And the more we'll be sitting, the more in the mind of the meditator, we will see so clearly that discursive thinking just doesn't make much sense. And so the mind is hyperactive. And when it is, we really tend to make this mind an enemy. This battlefield just reinforces the sense of the meditator on one side, me, trying to meditate, trying to have no thoughts, and the enemy on the other side of the battlefield, which are the invaders. And therefore, it creates a very deep suffering from a sense of separation. I think the first thing that we need to really remember, and it's good to put things in perspective at times, and to really know that, especially in this part of the world, we have had such a strong cultural educational training 
very fortunate beings to have been able, you know, to train ourselves to think, to use concepts, to work with the mind, to figure out, to make our mind solve problems, to reflect, to relate in the world and to others through words, through thinking. And so, this is a habit. And it's a strong habit. And it's important to know that when we come here, we're told that this field, area, should be just investigated just like the other senses. And it doesn't have more power or it's not reinforced here. And so it's just so difficult to rebalance this way of relating to thoughts just as we do to, to sounds, for example, or to a taste. So to put that into perspective really allows maybe for the judging mind to be a little bit less predominant when it's present. And there's also another perspective that we need to hear, I think, again and again. (laughs) And that is the one that says that we're not asked in our practice to shut down our thinking, to suppress the thoughts. In no way are we asked to do this. And so we misunderstand when we hear the teachings this way. Of course, there's the wanting, the calm, the quiet, because it's pleasant. And therefore, we will tend to understand the teachings where meditation is about stopping the mind. We're not asked to do that at all. We're just asked to be aware of thoughts when they appear. And when there's absence of thought, to be aware that there are no thoughts. It's as simple as that. And for some of us, it takes quite a while to really take that information in because the wanting of not wanting the mind to think is just so strong. I practiced with a Sayadaw in Burma this year, and his name is Utejaniya. And his way of relating to thoughts was very interesting, quite different from what I had known or heard in the teachings. These are his words. He says, when the mind is thinking or wandering, when a thought keeps catching your attention, just be aware of it. Thinking is the natural activity of the mind. It is natural that if you have a good hearing, you will hear sounds. You are actually doing your practice well if you are aware that the mind is thinking. You are doing the practice well if you are just aware that the mind is thinking. And that is one of the insights that when 
needs to hear over and over again. There's nothing to do to change the reality. The mind has the function to think. But then Utajaniya goes on in saying, you are doing well if you are aware that the mind is thinking. But if you feel disturbed by thoughts or sounds, or if you have a reaction or judgment to them, there is a problem with your attitude. The wandering mind is not the problem. Your attitude that they should not be around is the problem. So understand this. The wandering mind is not the problem. The mind wanders, it wanders. We know that it wanders. Your attitude that these thoughts shouldn't be here, that there shouldn't be the wandering mind, that is where we need to pay attention. Really, how are we relating? What is the reactivity in the mind when the thoughts are present? So he says... It is totally natural. Just like the eyes see, the ears hear, the tongue tastes, the body feels, the mind will think. It's a truth that we really need to hear again and again. And I see some of you really nod, you know, and it's true. It's just so clear (laughs) when we hear this simple teaching and take it in, there'll be probably less of a tendency, at least for a few hours, (laughs) to not want to eliminate the thoughts, not to push them away, not to become aversive to them. Just being interested, looking very closely at a thought, and I don't know about you, but if we look closely at a thought and there's interest, very often it's going to be gone. Thought just have absolutely no solidity. What I've seen in the practice is that the reactivity, the felt sense, meaning the attitude, which is the one of pushing away, or the tendency to uh, be aversive, that lingers a little bit more. And that's why there is this tendency of thinking that there isn't freedom there. So this is exactly where we need to put the attention, to the felt sense. If you are bothered by thoughts, what is it that is bothering you? Where is that clinging? Often, it's in the felt sense of aversion or wanting to get rid of. Meaning that that is where we can sense the painful feeling. And I've noticed for myself that at the moment when the thought's gone, because it's true that if you are paying attention, thoughts come and go and you can really sense the felt sense in the body of what is lingering here, being interested in the process. 
Very early on in my practice, I, I practiced a lot with Saito Pandita in Burma and Nepal and in the West. And on this retreat, uh, he asked absolutely everyone why they were coming to meditation. What is the purpose of you being here? And I was very much in pain <laughs> in those early years. And my mind was really kind of driving me crazy. And so I told him, I said, to find peace, to really stop hearing all these thoughts that I hear in my mind. There was already some knowledge that it was, you know, my mind that was bringing all this pain. And in his very direct way, his uh, kind of holding the sword of Manjushri, you know, the sword of wisdom, (laughs) he was... um, very direct in his statement that it stayed with me all these years. He said, you're not here to stop your thoughts. <laughs> you're here to understand your mind. Understanding is what liberates, not shutting down in any way. So be more interested in what is happening. And you know how some teachings just hit <laughs> They're just appropriate, and um, I heard that, and I really thought, okay, you know, interest, this is exactly how I'm going to understand better. So we got, we get caught very often, so often, in the content, in the story, whatever the story is, even if it doesn't make any sense, it gets us. For one reason or another, it fascinates us. (laughs) And we get hooked by the story because there's me often in that story. And we want to solve our problems. And we think that everything that we'll try to find out about me will help us become free. And... After a while, you know, and you've been practicing here for quite a while, and it means that you have a lot of practice, you see that trying to stay at the level of content is not really helpful because there's no end to that, (laughs) trying to solve the content and, and the whirling thoughts around me. So it's much more about process really understanding the process of what it is that is manifesting when a thought is appearing. The suffering lays in the uncontrolled mind, in the uncontrolled quality of thinking. That's where the suffering lays. And when the mind tends to race and run around, and it's totally uncontrollable, like a wild horse, we need to look at what is happening. What's the process? So I'd like to share just a few words to probably reiterate for you the the process. We come into contact with, with things, with the objects of the world, right? with the objects, our own thoughts, for example. And each moment of contact 
is accompanied by a feeling, right? Which is pleasant, painful, or neither pleasant, neither painful. And then what happens with that contact of feeling, there is something which is being known. This object that is known is then named. We call that perception, labeling, or just putting a word on things. There's a designation that happens very clearly. After having sensed the raw experience of just contact and knowing, just this bare actuality, there's a process of knowing and then naming. And then this naming really is the memory that is moving in the mind and names things. So, for example, last night, there was a dog barking, and I really noticed that process. I heard the first sound, there was contact, and that vibration of that sound just hit my ear door, and it went all the way to, oh, dog, right? Perception, a name. And then it formed this phrase, this sentence. There's a dog barking, right? And then it doesn't stop there, unfortunately, because it could be easy if it stopped. Oh, there's a dog barking, right? (laughs) And the next sentence was, I wonder where that dog lives. You know, there's no one around here. And then it was, I wonder who owns that dog. You know, but maybe there's more than one dog. Is that got, dog going to bark all night? And okay, the mind was gone. <laughs> it was just whirling into the thinking. The t- thinking then it has taken off. And that's exactly how the process is happening for each one of us. But we're so gone that we don't even know. These first moments of contact, of just raw experience, of knowing, of really being present with what is. Mindfulness reinforces that quality of pure, bare actuality of knowing. When we spin off, then this thinking process, conceptualizing, conceptual thinking, is called in Pali, Papancha. And we can really spin into Papancha so easily. It's this conceptual thinking that burdens the mind. When There's this first sentence, there's a dog barking. There's certainly a feeling of unpleasant, maybe, or pleasant. And we can stay there and just sense and be aware of that momentary experience and drop into that felt sense of just knowing the feeling, being so present, 
when the thinking is making us lose the experience in the present moment, then there is definitely the burden of the conceptual mind. There's no longer the experience of the reality. This is just a thought. We're lost, gone. And this can be very quick. So in that raw experience, there isn't particularly a sense of self. For me, there in that moment, there was no sense of self, and there was no sense of other, naming here the dog. But as the process takes off, the naming then takes place, and the sense of me really comes in very strongly. I am hearing this dog, and I don't like it, for example. And that solidifying just reinforces the pain, the suffering. What reinforces the suffering is being burdened by the story, not by the dog. And that's something which really needs to be seen again and again. It's this habitual mode that we have when we really sense that it's those things out there. (laughs) And there's even a clearer sense that when, when we meditate, the thinking pattern becomes this thing out there, which I'm not responsible for. And taking in, looking and turning the mind inwardly to see that this is really happening here and now in this body-mind process helps us free the mind and not create and become so entranced and captivated by the stories themselves. And in meditating, this wanting for distraction, being captivated, just softens. Because we see, at times we have glimpses and see that there isn't really a gratification there. And therefore, there's greater value in just staying in that space of silence. Staying in the space of silence, meaning that we don't encourage the thinking mind and don't shut down from it. Yet, from that space of mindful awareness, and clearly there are moments when thoughts aren't present, there is just more space. And in the expansiveness of awareness of that space where we see clearly the manifestation of an arising of a thought and can catch it, and then it's gone. And each moment that we are present, we can also notice what patterns are arising. This is how the mind is purified in meditation. It's happening in even every moment, each time we are willing to just be present, meeting the events with awareness, not proliferating, not allowing the veils to really cover up the mind, 
Here are a few inspiring words from the Buddha. He says, we are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with an impure mind, and trouble will follow you. Speak or act with a pure mind, and happiness will follow you. So when there is wisdom, enough wisdom in our response to thinking, rather than reactivity to thinking, we can say simply, this is just a thought. It doesn't need to be me or mine. And in that reality of connection, the thinking at times just dissolves. And I'm convinced that at times this is what is happening in your practice. There's just enough awareness for the mind to be present. And it's not burdened by reactivity. When there's knowing and enough presence or awareness, then we can choose to live wisely, even here. What we do is that we constantly help this force of purity nurture the causes that help us in such a strong way to lead just the mind further on to understanding. This is the mind that really lives in purity, using even the wise thoughts, reflection, to know what will be helping the practice and to let go of reactivity, of the aversive thoughts. Does this happen? And sometimes when there's not enough awareness, when we really try to be steady and we're not successful, it can really easily become and turn into a very aggressive process where we begin then to pull and push, shut down and suppress and repress and feel the pain of that. When that happens, it's often so painful that we do get lost in the content. And it's here that it's often very difficult to know what the next step should be. A yogi not long ago said to me, she really was so desperate when she came in for that interview that one day, and she said, all I see in my mind is pure garbage. That's the only thing I'm seeing, is garbage. How can this be leading me anywhere? How can I really think that it's possible to do anything with this kind of mind? And at times we do feel the same way, don't we? That everything that is appearing is just... (laughs) Not nice. Well, here, in that reality, where really it feels so heavy and difficult, it's again important to remember that it's not the content that matters, but it's the relationship to what is happening that matters. 
And so I told her, how do you relate to that garbage? What is the relationship that you're establishing? We may meet very impure thoughts, things that we really don't like, and that may come up from old, old times. I've had moments in my practice, days, where all this thinking was happening around stuff that wasn't pleasant. It was just about everything that I did that hurt people. And it was just so difficult to stay present to that reality, to have all this stuff come up. And to realize that, yeah, this is a purifying process. And how am I relating to this? So do we meet these impure thoughts, whatever they may be? And impure maybe is a word that you don't like, but unpleasant thoughts or thoughts that are difficult, that bring up maybe difficult emotions. It's important to know if we meet them with a mind that is aversive, that is clinging, that is reactive. That's exactly where we need to hold a very direct stance in the way that it's the purity of the intention, of the wholesome intention when you sit on your cushion that you allow yourself to see whatever it is that may arise May this mind be purified. And we know that this relationship, then, is what counts. This purity of intention just will feed, then, the awareness rather than feed the the craving for something else or the aversion to something unpleasant. So... In that way, it doesn't feed the story. It feeds the awareness. It doesn't perpetuate more unpleasant thoughts. But it's just the ability to know so deeply that this is going to be a purification process and that seeing these thoughts are just thoughts that appear and disappear in the mind. They don't have a reality. They're not sticky. So this is the way that we are really helping ourselves when we are able to just recognize the thoughts and really noticing what is the quality of the mind that is recognizing these thoughts. If they dissolve, they dissolve. Great. If they don't dissolve and they're very sticky, then it's important to stay steady, not to get lost in them. And that also means not suppressing them. Often there's this tendency of suppressing, not to be present, and not push away. What's left? (laughs) Just being aware. And if there is a pushing away, if there is a suppression, then to notice that. That's the reality of the experience in that moment.
to come back to the body is extremely helpful. And by that I mean that the power of receptivity, in this case, when you're really facing some hyperactive thinking where you're really lost um, in your connection, to really help yourself come back to the body and in a way to listen, that power of listening to the mind, just as a way of being interested, not active, so it's not about doing anything in relationship to the thoughts, but just being open. What is open in that listening, in that mindful listening, is the power and the presence of awareness. These are a few words from an English nun who is in the Tibetan tradition that um, is called Tenzin Palmo. You might have heard of her. She wrote a book called Reflections on a Mountain Lake. She says, when we rush in with this mental chatter, we are no longer being mindful. We are just thinking about being mindful. Mindfulness is not thinking about. It is being present and actually knowing in the moment without any mental commentary. If commentary begins to happen, we simply ignore it and return to being present in the moment. There are so many things happening in our lives that we never really experience. We experience only ideas, interpretations, and comparisons. We dwell on things that happened in the past or anticipate future events, but we almost never experience the moment itself. It is for this reason that we often find our lives so boring, so meaningless. What we need to realize is that this sense of meaninglessness, of boredom, does not come from our lives, but from the quality of awareness with which we live our lives. And that's exactly what we're practicing here. It's so beautiful that we're exactly nourishing, nurturing this quality of awareness that will make our life more meaningful. And everything that is happening here, of course, will have an incidence and a powerful effect in our life out there. I don't feel that there can be any separation from a life on the cushion or living our life with other people, with beings. So from that space of listening to the mind with awareness, we also notice that there are moments when there is an absence of thoughts. And in those moments when there's an absence of thoughts, there's clearly still an awareness. And we can sense that 
being awake, that awareness. The absence of thoughts, it doesn't interrupt the quality of awareness. The presence of thoughts doesn't interrupt the quality of awareness. That quality of awareness is not dependent upon the presence or absence of thoughts. And that's exactly where we need to put our energy. Rather than fuel the story, the commentator, give energy to awareness itself. The absence of thoughts won't hinder the nature of the mind, the nature of clear mind. The presence of thoughts won't hinder the nature of the clear mind. They coexist. They are of the same nature. There'll be moments of stillness and moments of mental chatter. Both have absolutely no power to hinder or beautify the quality of the nature of mind. This is from Zen Master Sun Sung. He says, clear mind is like the full moon in the sky. Sometimes clouds come and cover it, but the moon is always behind them. Clouds go away, then the moon shines brightly. So don't worry about clear mind. It is always here. When thinking comes, behind it is clear mind. When thinking goes, there is only clear mind. Thinking comes and goes. You must not be attached to the coming and going. This is the training. We're not being attached to the coming and going. Having an attitude that progressively accepts that thoughts are just part of the landscape really enables one to drop into a state of relaxation. There begins to be a state of great relaxation because one is not so affected by the presence of thoughts. The quality of awareness is sharp. The mind is alert, relaxed, present, and it sees thoughts just for what they are. The clouds that Zen Master Sun Sun describes just passing phenomena that don't hinder the quality of awareness. And even if there is reactivity in the mind, that reactivity can also be seen just for what it is. It's just reactivity. Maybe an intense aversion attack, multiple hindrance attack. And yet it can be seen 
we do not need to be affected by it. And in fact, it's not we, because there's a sense there that even where is the I? Where is the me? Try and find out, you know, when you are really, truly in that space of awareness, where is the me? And it's important at times to just investigate. Where is I in all of this? So there begins to be less of an identification to the content and to the meditator. There's really a sense of a greater space which happens as we are being mindful. It's the continuity of mindfulness, giving this mindfulness such deep respect, treasuring mindfulness that will allow this different relationship And to identify less, one really needs to interfere less. Every time there's an interference in the practice, there's a way that we are doing something, and very often doing something to push away, to suppress, to avoid. And that is often not helpful. Now, investigation is something very different from interference. Investigation is really asking just one question and staying with it, rather than trying to fix the practice in one way or another. It's this quality of interest that is so present that it stays with what is presenting itself. Investigation will ask, how am I aware? What is happening just in this relationship? What is the felt sense in the body? What is my quality of presence? How am I present? Is there an avoidance? Is there something that I'm moving away from or trying not to? feel. And in that relationship, often there's this movement that we are not so interested in the thinking when we ask these questions, but really drop into the felt sense and looking at those defilements where feelings arise, the feeling of aversion maybe or the mind state of sadness. Often there are emotions that are present. And this is really where we need to pay our attention. I've noticed for myself that at times I kept 
the thinking going, this process of endless thoughts. And the emotion that was present that I had not seen for a while because there were so many stories, that the emotion was the one of fear, the fear of letting go. Letting go of the story. Just because the sense of having a story made me, me, with my story, feel more concrete, more real. And that if I let go of the story, there would be a loss of sense of me. This illusionary sense of me was something that I was clinging on to because of the fear of losing self. And there's nothing else to do but to notice then that fear, just staying with the fear and allowing that connection to just be known, not forcing, not pushing away the fear, just dropping into the heart and notice. What is this fear telling How does it feel? It's okay to feel the fear. And it's true that when there is an absence of thought and we realize it, it's just so uncommon that there is the unknown. And often there's a feeling of insecurity. This is exactly what we're meeting here, just to explore a little bit that edge, that boundary, that limit of what feels secure and moving into the insecurity. So we work at different levels, really taking awareness to be our friend. And sometimes awareness is the refuge a refuge from fear, from difficult emotions, allowing ourselves to relax into that awareness, listening to what is present. Thoughts are not a problem. It's the idea that we have that they are a problem. We do not need to get rid of them. We do not need to suppress them yet we do need to recognize them. Recognizing them without getting involved, without interference, and at times they are sticky. And those are the times when it could be helpful to use just a little bit of mental noting. I've seen for myself that just a clear note of thinking or planning or judging. In very few moments would I use the mental noting, but when it's sticky, just to see more clearly what is present, what is exactly the mind state. That can be helpful, just as a soft whisper. In that clear seeing, comes a stability in our awareness. And that awareness itself will lead one to freedom, 
And if there's a lot of reaction, of greed, of aversion, or delusion, not knowing what is happening, then just open yourself to relax and stay present and just allow yourself to be wholeheartedly patient, allowing yourself to use the power of metta, of kindness. This will enable to find some ground again. This is a last quote that I'd like to use. It's, if you follow or get lost in any thought or mind state and let your mind wander, your work is in error and you are not different from an ordinary person. Turn your attention right in and look at your mind, whatever it is that it's saying. When you look at it, nothing is seen. Relax, let everything be and rest in that state. No matter how many thoughts are there, when they aren't grasped at, they go freely on their own and become pure awareness. like to end with a poem that I received with, from a yogi that she wrote on retreat. It's called A Place Where Thoughts. A place where thoughts are hollow echoes that collapse as they are born, where storms have ceased, at least for now, where a mind runs down and stills to space as when the power fails in a winter storm, snow whispering upon the window pane. Then silence blooms, replete with inner sound, as those within in a seashell, Quan Yin listening. Here all is broad and gentle and informed by love. This wide and empty space is not some other place, It is our very home, but no one home. That's it for just a few seconds. May your practice carry you lightly into the depth of your heart. And may the wisdom that emerges benefit all beings in all planes of existence.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.